everybody. We have a very special episode today with Dr. Patty Fay, who is a physician and also a physician consultant and a leadership consultant. Dr. Patty Fay helps organizations build better organizational culture, and she helps physicians become better leaders. And our main topic of focus today is basically why physicians make great leaders, specifically in hospital administration, and why physicians, and specifically physicians, are very well suited to take on those roles, and why MBAs or MHAs who typically fill these roles aren't exactly best suited for these positions. And she provides facts and evidence and shows how physicians actually deliver better results when they are put in these leadership positions. So I was particularly interested in Dr. Patty Faye's work after listening to one of her podcasts. And I actually happen to be really good friends with her daughter, Jamie, who is also very smart and you know has a lot of awesome things to say when it comes to healthcare and medicine. And so this conversation was super fun very in-depth, very enlightening for me. And just, we really need to start highlighting these things and highlighting how we can start taking back medicine. So that's why I thought it was a good time to bring on Dr. Patty. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. Um, I'm super excited. And, um, you know, for those of you guys listening, uh, Dr. Faye uh, is, um, she's actually my well, a really good friend of mine's parent, actually. And that's how we got connected. And um, and Jamie, your daughter, who is very like-minded as, 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 as I am and who I get along with really well, um, you know, we were kind of talking about uh, everything happening in healthcare right now, uh, physician leadership-wise, how we need more physicians as leaders. And then she introduced me to your podcast, where, which I listened to an episode of, and I was like, oh my God, this, this woman gets it. She is nailing everything on the head in terms of what we need currently in our healthcare system. And I was like, Jamie, I have to talk to your mom like as soon as possible. We need to get her on the podcast and we need, we, people need to hear this. So I've been super excited to have you on. And, um, you know, like there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about and uh, we'll get into that later on in the episode. Um, but just for people that don't know exactly what you currently do, could you give just a brief introduction on, you know, what, uh, what your current business is like? Sure. Yes. So I have a firm called Fay Consulting, and it's uh, been in operation over a decade now. And my colleague and I do leadership development uh, in healthcare with physicians and with mixed groups, uh, physicians and administrators. And we do um, leadership coaching, working one-on-one with primarily physician leaders. Uh, and uh, and we also work with leadership teams. So the common denominator of all those factors, whether it's, you know, front of the room leadership development or working with teams or uh, doing leadership coaching is a big effort towards transforming organizational culture. So um, whether it's working with new leaders or uh, sort of taking it from the top, which is really uh, where organizational culture emanates from, um, uh, all the work is focused on creating an organizational culture that can then turn around and um, provide excellent outcomes for patients. Absolutely. Um, I love that. And I, I, I love that you talk about culture because I truly think everything stems from culture and culture starts at the very, very top. Um, 
because I've seen in multiple different situations um, how the, per- the, per- the leader in charge, the person who is directing the flow of traffic, I guess, so to speak, um, really sets the tone for everybody underneath and sets kind of like the really just the feel and the vibe of uh, of the program or of the organization or whatever whatever it may be. And I'd love to get more into that specifically. Um, but first, I'd like to know how did you how did you get started in position leadership? What drew you into this into this field? Uh, you know, I've always I love that you are um, enamored with organizational culture because that has been a forever interest for me. So. Um, I don't know where that fascination um, uh, started, but so that's been there. That's uh, must be um, in the D- in the DNA or in my bones. But um, what I do remember is having uh, I would call it uh, like serial epiphanies, serial uh, with an S, um, not a C. But having serial <laughs> epiphanies, uh, having this interest in organizational culture and uh, understanding how critical, like you said the leader uh, is truly, um, whether it's the, the CEO of an organization or the leader of a team, um, just the, the um, potential for that one individual to transform the workplace, the work life, the uh, work outcomes, um, it's just uh, uh, really a, a tremendous influence. Uh, and so anybody who's interested in culture and organizational culture will immediately, I think, be interested then in leadership, whether from the top of the organization or even if there's somebody at the top of the organization who is um, a a very negative influence, it's possible at lower levels of the organization to have kind of a a cone of protection. If you've got a great internal medicine chief or you've got, uh, you know, the, the director of a fellowship program who's uh, got a real understanding of organizational culture, they can protect their team in some ways, to some degree, from a larger, more toxic culture. So an interest in organizational culture just points immediately to an interest in leadership and kind of that in, that inordinate influence, um, for better or for worse, the, the uh, top leader can, uh, I think, in, in every way transform uh, a culture. And so the serial epiphanies that I had um, I'm an internal medicine physician and I practiced in um, San Diego uh, for a couple of years and then moved to Colorado, worked in the Denver area and, uh, you know, enjoyed my practice, um, saw a pretty blue collar um, crowd of patients. And I just, I loved them, got along great with staff. Um, but I started to notice that even though uh, the, the physician license is required in order to see patients, care for patients, open the in order to open the doors to an organization, um, the physician credential is required, but the physician is not necessarily well supported to completely fulfill their mission to take care of patients. You know, it can really be a, a bit of an uphill battle to uh, overcome barriers, um, and we've seen you know more barriers in recent years. Um, but uh, uh, I, I think. I noticed that there wasn't uh, sort of a commensurate drive to facilitate the work of physicians, considering that that was um, the, the primary work that was being done in the organizations that, that I was in. Um, and 
And then, so that was kind of my first epiphany. I would say the second one was uh, becoming more familiar with uh, the idea that uh, that there is an expectation that physicians will, above all, protect patients. You know, it's our fiduciary responsibility to protect patients, do what we can for them, um, provide the very best care, and we're completely um, that's ingrained. Uh, that is what we're uh, trained to do, and. Uh, whether it's very overtly uh, trained to do that and and uh, um, really committing ourselves to excellent patient care or just even all the tacit knowledge that is acquired over the years of training, you know, our whole uh, career is focused on taking care of patients, taking the best care of them that we can. And, um, and it's a point of pride. It's our um, identity. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's this whole series of uh, uh, statutes, the corporate um, practice of medicine statutes around the country that, that really enforce that idea that physicians have to have the autonomy to take care of patients. That, that autonomy above all has to be protected Absolutely. so that um, they're able to make decisions on behalf of patients. And so the second epiphany was really recognizing that that is um, corrupted in a lot of ways, you know, that, mm-hmm. that physicians aren't able to take the best care of patients, things uh, that it's, uh, we, there might be a specific drug or study or an approach to patient care, um, that, that is, uh, becomes a very big barrier to overcome in order to take care of patients. Um, and I, I would say the third epiphany was Amanda Goodall's work where in 2011, um, uh, she published a study that uh, looking at um, physician leadership, and she questioned whether uh, physicians should be leading, you know, our, our healthcare systems and our hospitals. And she looked at data with U.S. News and World Reports, uh, and discovered that, you know, the data really shows us that physicians are very, very disproportionately overrepresented above uh, among the top performing hospitals. Mm. Um, so really perf- outperforming, even though they're only, they were only at the time, 6% of all the, um, CEOs of hospitals, they represented 75% of the honor roll on us news and world wow. reports, the very best of the best performing hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Goodall's work then, um, I think really opened my eyes to the fact that a lot of the myths and stereotypes about docs not, not being good leaders, that those were really quite unfounded. And in fact, there's um, a, a lot, lot of research that shows physicians are um, superior leaders for, um, mm-hmm. for many reasons. And then I would say the last epiphany that, that sort of nailed this for me was then when I was researching the um, business training and the MBAs for my third podcast to discover the incredible array of problems inherent in the MBA education, which, you know, there's no reason why you or I would be privy to that information if we're not researching it. Um, but the, uh, the evidence really comes from within the business schools where the business school professors themselves are surfacing all these issues and problems with how MBAs are trained and with uh, the, the outcomes, which are quite negative. And I go into great detail about that in the third podcast, one that you listen to. 
So I think all of those things just um, really have kind of unfolded for me in a way to make me recognize how urgent it is for us to understand physician leadership and do what we can to get physician leaders uh, in at every level in healthcare to be leading this and turning it around. Absolutely, absolutely. And this has been more of a debate and not really a debate, but more of a topic of interest, especially now with COVID, because we are witnessing across the country the abuses that many administrators across the country are um, are kind of, uh, you know, raining on the employees, on the doctors, nurses, and, you know, the rest of the hospital staff. And people are speaking out. I've gotten multiple messages on my social media from residents, from nurses, from techs saying that they're not, they don't feel safe. Um, one in particular that really like struck a chord with me that just made me feel like, whoa, like this, like I, I had goosebumps when this resident had posted this and it was, you know, they said, you know, like we knew in quotation marks, they said, we knew, we already knew that they didn't care about us, but now we can see it. And right. it was something along those lines. And it just, it was so that, and I posted this somewhere on my social media. This was a resident from New York city somewhere um, who was uh, seeing COVID patients, you know, kind of thrown out to dry. Um, and it was so heartbreaking to hear that. And these stories have been coming out like crazy. Um, multiple uh, physicians have been speaking out. Nurses have been speaking out saying that some of the conditions uh, are just not appropriate. And the leadership has not been appropriate. And we've had these photos where, you know, like uh, like these cartoon, these caricatures uh, showing like healthcare administrators clapping while the doctor or nurse is um, walking and, you know, being stabbed in the back. And uh, I think this is felt across the country. And there are isolated situations where this is not the case. And mm -hmm. in those isolated situations, we're finding those places are led by physicians. I, for one, at work at a, I currently am at a program in Massachusetts that's run by a physician, an excellent leader who I literally was just today working in the emergency department tent with you know, on the front lines in the, uh, you know, in the tents, um, who has been, you know, I think we've handled things very, very well here. Um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm at this program. Um, but it's just, I feel supported from, from the top down. And I feel like, uh, globally, I I'd say in the U S this is a conversation that's growing and Good. this is a perfect time for this conversation. And you touched on a few things that I'm really interested in. Number one being the culture, um, uh, because I think that's huge in terms of how how the people in an organization, uh, you know, go about their their day to day and how people feel working in an organization. Um, I'll, I'll give just an example. You know, I, I were, the first one of the first things that I said when I interviewed here. Um, to my program director, uh, Dr. Stacy Potts, who's just, you know, a phenomenal, phenomenal leader. You know, she's like one of my idols. And I tell her that all the time because she's such a good leader because she, 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 I always tell her like, Dr. Potts, I can see the culture that you've, you've, you've in, uh, implemented here at UMass. And I was like, the moment I walked through these doors, I felt that culture because that, that it was just, 
you know, I had such a such a contrast to what I had previously um, seen that it was just palpable. And I, I I would tell her, you know, like the culture here, you know, like I could tell that's something you've really worked on building, and it's you know that's a testament to kind of to you because it stems down. I really believe that culture stems down from that one person, you know, downward. Um, because the way they handle things, the way they talk to people, the kind of the vibes they give to people, um, you know, the way they handle certain things really kind of just flows downwards. And uh, Absolutely. it's one of the, I think it's one of the most important things in terms of making people feel good, making people feel welcome, making people feel happy at their jobs. Um, you know, like your job, your boss can make or break your job. Um, and I think in any, in any, in any environment, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, like I will say my, like the contrast from my previous program, I'm not going to name any names, but like there was, the culture was just like, it was, it was not good. And it was because the leadership wasn't good. Um, yeah, it's, it's like for better or for worse. I mean, it's really this inordinate, um, power it's, it's, um, disconcerting to think about how one person uh, in a position of leadership can uh, have such an enormous impact on organizational culture. And you can actually create uh, a rich culture where people feel valued um, and and then somebody can replace that that CEO or that leader and it can just all head south. You know, it can, mm-hmm. uh, it can, I think it can be created relatively quickly, which I, I, I'm not sure most people would agree with me on that, but I really believe that. And I think it can be destroyed uh, fairly quickly. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's so important to understand that uh, even the pipeline of leadership and creating physician leaders throughout the organization. You know, you mentioned um, being at UMass and you're not, you weren't going to name names in your previous undesirable program, mm-hmm. but it's great to name names there because um, Eric Dixon and his wife, Kathy Jones, right? They're yeah. both docs and mm-hmm. both gave up their um, salary during COVID until people are, you know, they donated it, I guess, right? Yep. They donated mm-hmm. their salary during the crisis to employees that need more funds. And I think that's, to me, that's the sort of thing that you see with physician leadership um, because it's... Uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's this, just this um, year after year after year that we have dedicated to um, uh, to patient care and quality of care and to health care and to every angle of health care, you know, through uh, um, medical school and internship and residency and fellowship. Um, and we understand what matters. We yeah. understand that the bedside nurse is a linchpin and we understand what goes on uh, in the different departments and, and how people who are excellent in the, in those various departments, whether it's in the lab or x-ray or ED or wherever, how critical the personnel is mm-hmm. and you don't take it for granted. And I can imagine that Dr. Dixon got to, you know, uh, his position and it's very easy for him to have a huge sense of how important it is to take care of people mm-hmm. in the organization as best, you know, as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just, you know, very much a physician mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not any marshmallowy thing in a way. I mean, it's just very much focused on the, 
um, the passion and the the career, the profession of physicians. Yep. And that requires all the great people in the organization. Yep. Um, it's, it, you know, RNs are not overhead. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, RNs are uh, make or break personnel in a 100%. hospital. And, and he would understand that just um, so comprehensively. Mm-hmm. And I think we've also seen in this crisis, uh, and it really has surfaced in a way, the best and the worst, um, but we've, we've also seen people where they're just uh, making it as plain as day, as you alluded to earlier, we all kind of knew it, um, that, that there was some antipathy towards physicians and towards other people uh, in the hospital by those who run the place. Um, but I think during this crisis, it really has become more high profile. You mm-hmm. can see that um, it's a way to, to, to cut money, to uh, you know, put people... Uh, furlough people and um, and really put them in harm's way in a in a just uh, almost ruthless way, uh, especially early on with the um, personal protective equipment mm-hmm. and giving people misleading information about the necessity for that. When really a, a lot of the people who were uh, talking about the PPE had no right to even have an opinion about. The right thing to do there. Absolutely. Of course, it should have been the physicians and nurses that were listened to as far as the risks, and not mm-hmm. administrators who were who were uh, telling nurses to remove their PPEs, and so they wouldn't scare away, you know, patients. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't scare away business. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I can and see that I can't imagine any doctor that I've worked with. You know, I'll say most ninety percent, ninety nine percent that would ever make that kind of recommendation because I know that they have been there and that they care about our protection. They care about, you know, the patients. And it's just, it's just way less likely for a physician who's gone through the training, who's, who's, you know, something about medical training as exhausting and, you know, (laughs) and hard as it can be, it really makes you like, it really makes you a better person in a way because you just see so many people suffering and you see, you, you have this kind of, um, uh, I guess, I don't know what the right word is, um, like coming together with your co-residents and with, you know, the people you work with kind of in like in a team effort, everybody kind of knows what everybody's going through. You have people that can relate to you. And um, I think that, aspect of it really adds value when it comes to leadership because you won't sell out on your own you won't sell out on you know the people that are on the front lines you know you you know what it's been like you've been there and i think that's an important element to as someone who's going to lead an organization because nothing i mean i'm sure i'm not all mbas are bad people they're not inherently bad people they're just not equipped with the experience to know what it's like to be on the front lines and have that real empathy and, and um, like, you know, real regard for your patients or for the people inside of your organization. And some may or may not, but I, I, I don't think it's even comparable to what someone who's gone through the training process could have. No, no, it, it's, it's um, so radically different. And I agree with you. I mean, I know, um, lots of people that have MBAs and they're fantastic people. And I, I like to think of it um, or refer to it, at least when I'm taking 
notes or when I'm uh, 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 writing about this as the business school mindset. So more the BSM, business school mindset, because a physician can have a business school mindset. You know, we we don't want to pretend that every physician or physician leader is uh, the person that we would want them to be as far as uh, leadership. Yeah, so of yeah. course there are uh, crummy physician leaders mm-hmm. and people that never should have gotten um, into that. Um, uh, but uh, I think the important thing is that the, I, I call it the equivalent of Navy SEAL training, you know, the incredibly long, steep on-ramp um, that physicians have to, to acquire um, the learning that we have and all the years that we put in and all the different aspects of um, healthcare and different venues that we work in. Um, so physicians really, uh, I think, have um, they amass a huge amount of knowledge about where and how medicine is practiced and the, and the people um, in healthcare. Um, and the um, there was a study um, that pretty recently that, that looked at if you, if you have expertise in the core business. So if your boss has expertise in the core business, um, you're much more likely to be satisfied at work. So even having physician leaders, um, in an organization, as opposed to uh, somebody with uh, a business background has, a, um, a really substantial impact on the employee satisfaction. So whatever industry it is, if you've got somebody who's an expert in the core business, it greatly increases the satisfaction of the employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's there are this uh, a lot of the people who comment on business training uh, who are themselves in the business schools uh, really talk about how it's a question if if it even makes mm-hmm. sense to have business training, you know, can you be trained, um, to be I think it's a, an expert, yeah, an expert manager outside the context mm-hmm. of the, of the business itself, yeah. you know, whether it's dry cleaning or, uh, or healthcare, I mean, can you come in and be a manager mm-hmm. when you actually have no expertise at all mm-hmm. in the core business? Mm-hmm. I think going through the, like the training process, there's no MBA on earth could compete make you a better physician or, or organization leader in a hospital setting mm-hmm. anywhere in the country. I don't care if it's Harvard or anywhere, just because of the experience that you get, you can pick up a book, you can read on numbers, you can read on finance and all that stuff. There's nothing that you can't read about from a book, but the experience of leading people that doesn't come from a degree. And, um, I think, so I, I, I run this little podcast here that I do, whenever I can. And I have um, uh, four or five, five pre-med students who help me run this thing. And in, in exchange, I mentor all of them and help mm-hmm. them, you know, and whatever, whatever they need, I'm there for them. That This experience in itself, I think, has taught me more than any MBA would ever teach me in terms of leadership or in terms of running a business. Because I do treat this as a business. I, ru- I try to run it as a business with that mindset. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that it's profitable because at this point, not where I'm focusing my efforts during residency, but in that business mind where I approach, you know, I try to, I look at the people that, that work with me and help me make this thing possible 
in the sense that I'm trying to give them more value than they're bringing me because these are pre-meds looking at me as a, as a senior resident to help guide them. And I do that. And in exchange, naturally, the process comes where they want to commit and want to and, and are so you know, involved and love being part of this process. And, you know, over the last two and a half years that I've been doing this, working with them, I've learned how to really get the best out of people and how to get the best from people. And I think just like in those little experiences where you're in a position where you're leading people in the right way, especially on a volunteer basis, so to speak, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, where nobody's getting paid, everybody's doing this on a volunteer basis. and like that in itself has just taught me so much. And I'm like, why would I ever? Because I used to think, should I get an MBA? And doing this, I'm like, well, I'm getting way, I've learned so much more doing this little side thing that I do two hours a week than I'd ever get from having gone through paying $100,000 for an MBA. Yeah, Rami, don't get an MBA. Yeah. That would <laughs> that would not be uh, uh, worth it. They, they actually... Um, Oh, there was a, I, I mentioned it in the third podcast, but there was a consulting company that brought on a bunch of lawyers and engineers and dentists and doctors to help uh, with um, uh, consulting. In, uh, in fact, I think it was called the Boston Group was the consulting company that this was kind of an inadvertent study that they did, but they brought on um, all these other professionals alongside their regular, you know, MBA trained uh, consultants to go out and work in all sorts of different fields. It's not like the lawyers went and worked in law or the doctors, they worked all over the place. And then, uh, they looked at, uh, and the, and the MBA training that that they got was a three week crash course. Mm -hmm. So they got three weeks of how to use some tools and how to get out there and, um, and work in these various industries and bring some value. And then, uh, they happened to then compare the performance and they were either equal or better to the MBA trained regular consultants that they had. From a three-week course. Yeah, with a three-week crash <laughs> course. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I mentioned in the, I think the first podcast too, with my, with my history, I, uh, I really got involved in leadership because I was so unhappy with the organizational culture where I was. So I was either going to pick up and leave uh, or I thought, well, I could get involved and I can pick up and leave later. Yeah, you know, I can make that decision later. I can bail out if nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ran for the board and then I ended up on the um, executive team as the associate medical director of human resources. My job was to transform the organizational culture. It was a mm-hmm. physician group of about 600 uh, at that time. It's over mm-hmm. a thousand now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I took a one week Stanford executive HR course one week. And that was it, yeah. you know? And, and of course I read everything that I could read. Cause that's what we do, right? That's what physicians do. We're lifelong learners. We go yeah. crazy, we get interested in something. Um, and, and that's what, and what I, what I see, and we made a huge difference, really a huge transformation of organizational culture. Mm-hmm. So, um, I got involved because it was tanking, you know, it, it was getting to be a place that I didn't recognize anymore. And I didn't mm-hmm really want, um, didn't want to stay there. And people that I'd helped to hire were leaving. Mm-hmm. And we had a, an annual survey and the board had originally sort of deep six, the results. But one of the questions on it was, I'm able to meet my personal and professional goals as a member of this, you know, group. And, uh, the Likert was a five point Likert scale mm-hmm. and the results were 39%. So 39% of the physicians 
uh, that responded um, said that they were able to meet their personal and professional goals. And, and we brought in a new leadership team. We had a new executive medical director. I was new, all new team. And within 18 months, we repeated mm. the survey and it, it went up to 57%. Mm. Uh, we're able to meet, you know, the top two box score yeah. was 57%. And two years after that, it was 74% were able to meet their personal and professional goals. And that's a quick turnaround. Yeah. I mean, that's really looking at doing, really paying attention to recruiting people with, um, uh, with having our values in mind, mm-hmm. physician leadership, yeah. uh, and, you know, never victim, never tyrant. You, mm-hmm. you know, the whole idea was physicians are leaders. They're not victims. They're mm-hmm. not tyrants. Yes. And focusing on the uh, recruiting and selection and focusing on the performance management, mm-hmm. people who are tyrannizing the lives of their staff or other doctors or, yeah. you know, they're jerks. Um, they had an opportunity to improve or leave. And that's an incredible opportunity to yeah. kind of raise general organizational happiness is mm-hmm. to remove sick people. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, a really fairly rapid um, turnaround in organizational culture uh, in a tough crowd. You know, it was, um, you know, you have probably by the time I left, there were probably about 800 physicians. um, And uh, and I think the culture was remarkable. Yeah. How, what and, what qualities do you look for when you're looking to put people in these positions? Like what stands out to you and what makes you think like this person would be a really good um, like executive or CEO or this person would really be good for this for this organization's culture? What what sticks out to you? You know, I, th- I think that um, in a way it's almost uh, table stakes. It's not even uh, really... Uh, um, we, we often hear people will kind of roll off a huge inventory of leadership competencies. That's mm-hmm. one of many things that kind of drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, I think that as far as the, the basement, the table stakes, mm-hmm. um, what I like to see uh, are people that treat others with exquisite respect. Mm-hmm. So, and that's one of three that I that I think should just be table stakes. But if you just think about that criteria, that they treat others with respect, um, think of all the people that you know in leadership positions that would be mm-hmm. automatically eliminated yeah. and how toxic they are, how harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they just, they they leave a bloody wake behind them. Yep. Uh, and, the, um, and the other one, uh, the second one is clarity. People that are able to be very clear um, about what, what they're looking for, what they need, what their expectations are, how they're going to um, come back, how they're going to follow up, how they're going to um, uh, really just, I think, providing adequate clarity so that other people can follow through and, mm-hmm. uh, and perform without mm-hmm. it being um, capricious, you know, without it, it being uh, hit or miss, whether you're mm-hmm. even fulfilling your job expectations. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of leaders who are unable to be clear. They yeah. won't commit to the clarity. They'll waffle. They'll change the next person that walks in their office, you know, they can sway them to go a different direction. Mm -hmm. And that's so very harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, So treating people with exquisite respect, being very uh, clear with what, and also, you know, not, not dogmatic, not being clear in the sense, you're never going to change your mind. um, But, but being clear about uh, how you see it and what you expect of people. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is holding people accountable. Mm -hmm. So being able to be clear, be respectful, 
and then follow up and hold people accountable and, and not shy away from that. Yeah. You know, be able to walk into the fire, have the tough conversations. And so those three are just um, table stakes. Yeah. You know, I would love for those three to be always in play before mm-hmm. we start looking yeah. at, you know, are they strategic planners and, you know, are they able to wield all the financial tools and, um, and I'm thinking of all the people that I consider good leaders or great leaders and they're like, I'm going through my mind. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. All those things, check, check, check. And uh, it it makes sense. I, I want to ask you though, do you think that some people, even given whatever amount of training that they could go through to become a better leader, there's, do you think that everyone can become a good leader or is it more is it, are some people just way better suited to be a leader? Because there are some people that I can think of where personality wise, I just don't think that they could change to make a good Mm -hmm. leader. Right. Well, you know, we do have some diagnoses Mm -hmm. that have a certain amount of prevalence in society at large and, and, and physicians are no exception. So if you've got somebody that's on the narcissism spectrum um, they will do a lot of harm in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. And the problem is they also are going to just uh, clamor to get in to position to be the boss of you and the boss of me. Mm-hmm. So it's really a danger, I think, if you've got um, people who are just so eager to be the boss, eager to be the leader, they mm-hmm. position themselves, they denigrate other people in order to make themselves um more desirable or attractive for a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think, I think it's such a danger. The narcissists are such mm-hmm. a danger in organizations because they're frequently, um, you know, they can really make themselves look good. Mm-hmm. They like to be in the spotlight. They especially, can be very articulate. Especially and, in medicine. Yeah, and, absolutely. And especially with the hierarchy and the power differential, I think mm-hmm. in some institutions that narcissism, like especially in some leadership roles, is super harmful to like residents in certain programs. It's horrifying. Yeah. I mean, because residents and medical students are, uh, you know, it's such a power differential. They're at such a disadvantage uh, mm-hmm. as far as the power structure. They're really under the thumb um, of the uh, whoever happens to be in leadership. Anybody that can ha- that can have an opinion about their evaluation, they they're beholden to them in some ways. It can be terrifying. And if, if the organization hasn't seen through narcissistic characteristics, if they, I I mean, there are some organizations that just attract them and promote them. And the narcissist classically, uh, you know, they kiss up and, and kick down. So their bosses can just love them. You know, yeah. oh my goodness, they seem to be getting things done. If you don't, you know, look at the bloody wake that they're leaving behind them. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, you're right. They they can be so toxic and so harmful anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the biggest risk of all, I mean, there are other personality disorders that can cause problems, but narcissists tend to get into leadership positions mm-hmm. and that makes them really doubly and triply dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of, I can think of one in particular in this country. <laughs> yeah yep there does yeah. seem to be one yeah or two out there yeah a and, big one here and there yeah and so like what 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 things stand out to you in terms so like do you think in terms of you know besides just the personality traits of like you know narcissism or something of the of that liking are are, are there some people that can develop those skills and be excellent leaders as physicians in certain 
in certain leadership roles? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I, I really don't think um, there's a ton of magic. Um, I think there are people who uh, might very naturally be comfortable being um, clear with people and that have great strategic vision uh, and are inspiring. Um, and probably, you know, all those traits also can be worked on and developed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are there might be some people that are particularly charismatic. Um, and, and so they're, they're charming and, and their organizations can kind of fall in love with them. And with any luck, that's also, um, you know, they're actually making good decisions and uh, improving the place. Um, but I don't think there's tons of magic, um, to, to leadership. I actually think it's almost, um, so I think it can be taught. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It can be taught. And I think where we get into trouble is, uh, looking the other way with people that are serving themselves mm-hmm. instead of serving the patients and serving the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause uh, I mean, it can be exhausting working with someone that's determined to be your boss, that determined to be the boss of everyone. Yeah. Um, and they'll do whatever it takes to get into a leadership position. And I think mm-hmm. that often, um, uh, people in positions of power just cave into that. They, you know, they'll promote somebody who is not, who, who has the wrong characteristics. Right. Because some, some people can deliver results with bad intentions. Like, you know, for whatever reason, like if they're, they about some insecurity or something that they're just trying to reach that spot and they can de- deliver results that might push them into a position of power. And then mm-hmm. the, you know, the culture in the long term will suffer because of that. But I think that does happen with some MBAs where they can deliver results in the short term in some situations, whether that be short-term profit or whatever it may be. And then the long term, there's the suffering because, you know, there's the, you know, you've manipulated the system to get the results that you've wanted. But overall, what's the long-term effect of, you know, not having that long-term vision and that um, you know, that real genuine looking after everybody that works in the hospital and looking over their welfare and benefits that comes with the long-term vision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the short-termism is very characteristic of what, you know, I think of as the business school mindset and, um, uh, and really doing whatever it takes to produce the numbers, um, produce the financial outcomes as a primary goal. I mean, it's not like you can just run a business into the ground and spend money on whatever you want and not worry about the margins. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I think the overwhelming difference between somebody who's really got a business school mindset versus uh, and uh, somebody who has technical expertise and is coming from a point of understanding the core, um, the core business Mm -hmm. uh, is the focus on all the elements that help you create a great culture that help you create um, a culture that can take super care of, you know, excellent care of patients. Um, so is the mindset focused on producing the numbers that will, uh, you know, help you get your year-end bonus? Mm-hmm. Um, or is everything pointed more towards uh, satisfying this, this need, this professional need and obligation to uh, take excellent care of patients? When, yeah. when I think about physician leaders, um, I think two of the, the big points that I make in the, I, the, 
I guess, of the second episode. The second podcast is really around the leadership characteristics that physicians have. Um, and, and the fact that physicians have technical expertise in the core business, you know, in the past, it's been held against physicians. You know, the line, uh, just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you know how to do this or that, doesn't yeah. mean you know how to manage. Um, and in a way, some of the recent research has turned that on its head, that technical expertise is, um, uh, is, is critically important, especially in the CEO of an organization. So the, mm-hmm. the top leaders and especially the CEO should be not only a technical expert in the core business, but the CEO should be a highly, highly regarded technical expert mm-hmm. in the core business. Yep. Um, and so that, that, right. I mean, that, uh, line of study and line of work, which is also Amanda Goodall's theory of expert leadership, uh, it, it, uh, points to only having physician leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and this, and then the second one that I like to mention is tacit knowledge, all mm-hmm. the, the tacit knowledge that physicians have from being in every, you know, nook and cranny of uh, hospital and clinics and, you know, drawing mm-hmm. blood gases, doing EKGs, what, you know, whatever it is we have to do for years before we actually uh, get in there and have a more meaningful role uh, as an intern or resident. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that is, is tacit knowledge. It all feeds into decision-making and it's hugely important. So two huge things to, to hang our hats on as far as um, the skills that physicians have to lead. Mm-hmm. And, and also, you know, it's the Navy SEAL training. We learn and adapt. You know, there's a ding against physicians that, uh, that physicians don't make good team players. It's like, what? Uh, are you kidding me? Uh, uh, we're on teams from the get-go, from, um, you know, the academic years of medical school, the first and second year, certainly the third and fourth, and all through uh, residency and fellowship. It's team after team after team adapting to new teammates and new leaders of the team. Um, we're inherent, we are steeped in teaminess. Um, so uh, I think the fact that that physicians learn and adapt um, readily, I mean, that's what we do through all the training um, and understand the needs of different um, factions in the hospital, you know, whether it's the, the you know, the unit clerk down in x-ray or the the ICU RNs. I mean, we understand what they need and they're important to us, you know, to make sure that the good ones stay put. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I totally agree. And I think, you know, there are not every physician like would make a great leader. And I can, you know, I can think of a few off the top of my head that I've worked with before that probably wouldn't, but I think that, um, you know, like we're well suited in terms of like, yeah, we do work in teams. We do, you know, uh, you know, have to collaborate with a lot of different specialties and things like that. And there's, um, I think the, the real, I think the really hitting, like hitting the nail on the head is the part about just being immersed in all the different areas and the different subspecialties, seeing like day in and day out, what happens inside. Like, I don't know how you could lead an organization if you don't know what happened, if, if you don't know how to do some of the things inside of the organization. And I'll, I'll use like this very small example of, you know, running a podcast and thinking like, if I didn't learn how to do the website, if I didn't learn how to edit the audio myself in the beginning, if I didn't learn how to put things on a, on a server and um, store our audio files, if I didn't know how to do my own uh, graphics and art and all of that, if I didn't know how to 
do all these little things that it took to start this thing, I would have never been able to create a team and mm-hmm. to delegate certain tasks and to help people grow professionally in whatever parts they're trying to do. Or like even in like, you know, reaching out to people, scheduling, doing all these. When I first started it, I did all of it. Right. And then as I grew, I was able to, you know, bring on people to help and delegate. And if I didn't know how to do any of the things myself and I was trying to bring on other people to do these things, how on earth am I going to have, how am I going to run a successful little organization? I don't think it would have been possible if I didn't know how to do all the little technical things too. Because when they come to me with a question and say, hey, how do I do this? I'm like, oh, okay, you just, you know, we walk through it, go on Skype, talk it through it. And, you know, because I know how to do all of the little parts, but I just, I don't have time to to do everything. I'm trying to focus my efforts in just one area, having the conversations. Mm -hmm. But that's where, that's why I think even at a much bigger level, you don't need to know everything. You don't need to know how to do an ABG and all of that. But if you know like I've seen, I've worked with enough nurses to know what their day to day is like. I've worked with enough uh, techs and respiratory therapists. I've worked with enough other physicians in different specialties to know what their day is like. You gain that experience. You have so much appreciation for other people and what they do. That that in itself, putting you then going up in that leadership position and then uh, then you know extending that leadership from up there, that gives you a lot of perspective and a lot of ability, in my opinion. It does. And it's um, it, it's not only a relatively recent article about if your boss can do your job, will you be more satisfied? And the answer is a resounding yes. Um, uh, but it's also a, another huge part of all that tacit knowledge. And the tacit just means we don't even really know we have it. You know, the tacit knowledge is everything that we've we've done and learned and picked up and it, it's all uh, it kind of in the water. It's inherent. We, we know it because we've been there and done it. it it's experiential. Um, and, all, and the other big angle of tacit knowledge is the decision-making that results. Uh, you know, it it's, can be quite uh, clear and automatic. A physician leader who's been around the block and knows, you know, cares about these people, knows the, the RNs are critically important. Um, will will make decisions that reflect that. And they might not be able to even articulate exactly why uh, they know this or exactly why they're prioritizing this thing over that thing. But that decision-making uh, is really important and a big part of why the research on the theory of expert leadership uh, states that you have to be an expert. The best leaders uh, ideally are experts in the core business. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned too, Rami, you know, not every physician is going to be a great physician leader. Uh, and I absolutely have to, we have to emphasize that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because as more and more, you know, especially as we sort of hammer on the idea that, uh, you know, we have to take back healthcare. We have to get the uh, clinicians and the physicians in positions of leadership for the sake of healthcare and the sake of patients and the sake of quality outcomes. Um, but what's going to happen is we're going to get uh, stories mm-hmm. of every lousy physician leader yeah. that you know has ever traipsed the hallways of a hospital. Yeah. Um, and of course, there are going to be some a, a subset of physician leaders who are uh, you know going to be narcissistic or um, they're not going to be particularly skilled at decision making, whatever it might be. Uh, and the question that I think is so important to pose um, is you know <clears throat> who are we comparing? The physician leaders too. 
Because right now we have a track record of a mess. Yeah. Um, and and studies would show that that physician leaders are going to improve the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a, a track record of these of uh, hospital systems with CEOs that have you know huge bonuses, huge you know seven figure salaries, um, and uh, and who don't emphasize or prioritize patient care or the employees, the nurses, the clinical staff. Um, and so there's, there's a, and of course the, the, the costs of healthcare are astronomical. The 30, I think it was a 3,500% increase in the number of administrators, um, over about a a 15 year period when Mm -hmm. the number of physicians went up was a, a, um, uh, it was a Bureau of Labor statistic that looked at increase in the number of administrators that went up 3,000%. Costs went up 2,500%, and the number of physicians went up 150%. And it was over, I think it was uh, from, uh, it was about a 20-year period. Um, it was longer than that. It was 1970 to the early 2000s. Uh, so just this huge increase in the number of administrators, huge increase in healthcare costs, very modest increase in the number of, of physicians, uh, and and we're eleventh out of eleven, you know, uh, nations, the the westernized nations, uh, mm-hmm. as far as our healthcare outcomes. Mm-hmm. So that's a crummy track record, right? Yeah. Huge yeah. costs. You know, we're not at the even though our costs are much higher than any other nation, we don't have the best healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty confident we can improve on that, especially mm-hmm. with now the data that we see around the results when physician. Uh, when the physicians are leading our organizations, yeah. Yeah. and and we have to question who are we comparing when we when we gripe about a physician not running a meeting well or you know mm-hmm. maybe not uh, doing well in a a leadership position we have mm-hmm. to say okay who are we comparing them to or yeah. who are we comparing her to yeah. uh, are we yeah. comparing uh, these folks to uh, this array of leaders that have been in the organization yeah. who who have not performed well. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I think I'll add to that statement and say that any phys- so because not every physician is going to make a great leader or should run a hospital, but the ones that have the ability or the leadership skills already in place or have strong leadership skills and are on top of that a physician would mm-hmm. make excellent leaders in those positions. So if you yes. not if you just take any random physician and put them in a leadership, that probably would not be a good idea. But like exactly. someone with already a strong set of skills who has a desire to be in a leadership position to improve the quality of a hospital or who has a strong sense of purpose and mission to really, you know, move the hospital forward, that would be an ideal, I think that'd be an ideal match for someone to, to um, run a hospital. And, you know, even my, so today I worked with my, uh, with the CEO of our hospital, actually, just by coincidence, it just so happened that I was scheduled on the same day that our CEO was in the emergency room tent. We were treating, you know, gowned up, treating COVID patients in the ED tent. And uh, I was like, Dr. Dixon, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a huge fan of yours. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was like, you know, I I appreciate what you're doing. And um, I, you know, I read some of the articles and I was like, Hey, I posted a picture of you on my Instagram. He's like, oh, that's really, that's really nice of you. I'm like, not in a creepy way, but just to show that, you know, yeah. uh, you know, like what you're doing for UMass is appreciated and we need more of that. And in my small Absolutely. interaction working with him, I was like, 
inspired because I could see he still loved being an emergency medicine doctor. He's like, you know, I've been, I've been always working one day or one or two days a week in the ED. I always try to do that just because I love the medicine. I love, you know, like this is my passion. And I, so I cool. for me, that, that was just really inspiring. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to find another like hospital CEO that, that would be able to lead in that way that, that hasn't gone through the training. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that that has really been corroborated by the, the data that, and in fact, Dr. Dixon's probably just a fantastic example. I don't know much more about him other than the, some of the recent headlines, but the, the best leaders are actually uh, not only physicians, but, but their technical expertise is, uh, you know, among the best. Um, so somebody who's, who's also not only a physician, uh, but somebody who's very much admired by other physicians for their technical skills as a physician. Mm-hmm. So that's really uh, important mm-hmm. as well as the other things that you mentioned. Interesting. Um, you know, somebody who's passionate and, and, you know, understands and cares a lot about patient outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause there's that um, level yeah. of respect too, that you just know mm-hmm. they've been there and like, you just have that more, like you want to respect your leaders. You want to be able to, like, if someone just was trying to do your job, like be like, be your boss and just, you know, like they don't know anything. Like, how are you going to respect yeah. that person? Yeah. And I have, I have like, I still have a story from when I was a medical student. I'm going to go ahead and share it. But um, I think I was a third or fourth year medical student working on the internal medicine floor with a very well-respected internal medicine doctor. Um, one of the wisest humans I've ever met in my life. Knew everything. Like I couldn't ask him anything that he didn't know. And um he was a little bit smaller guy, maybe like five foot four, you know, not very intimidating, very nice, you know, easygoing guy. And uh, I remember like one situation where um, he was just disrespected in front of us so badly by an administrator that my jaw almost hit the floor and I was just like bursting with rage. And I just, I, 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 wow. I was so upset that it had something to do with like where we're putting our patients and that they, you know, like, I don't remember the specific thing. All I remember is that feeling of like, I was like, how are you going to disrespect someone that has like 20 years of expertise under his belt in this setting? And um, I was just like, so, so mad. Yeah. I remember. And I was like, how could, like, like this guy knows nothing. This guy does it. He, he's just here trying to boss people around that, that have, so much more knowledge and expertise than than they do and um like it just it just really upset me shocking on so many levels you know it's it's um it, it it triggers disgust when you see people treated disrespectfully and unfairly like that and um uh it, it's not only the person who's that's the recipient of um uh, disrespectful behavior like that but everybody who witnesses it has the same you know, same reaction. It's a disgust reaction. Uh, and I think that that points to the, to this, this, um, weird, I just get, you know, it, sort of this unbelievable scenario. That was probably another one of the epiphanies that I had where it, it somehow it's okay for administrators, um, to have this antipathy towards physicians that you can be in, in organizations where the, the leadership um, you know, people in leadership can be a little, can be disrespectful and um, a little, uh, uh, 
I don't know, snarky um, about physicians. And how is that? How is that a thing? You know, the the place doesn't get to open its doors without the physicians. The physicians mm-hmm. are the ones who've been through, you know, post high school, eleven to seventeen years or something mm-hmm. of. Uh, of getting to that point. Um, and so why would we have organizations where it's okay for, uh, for people in administration to have negative feelings um, towards physicians? And not that physicians are all angels, but that's a whole nother conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And it's another reason to have physician, excellent physician leaders, because when you've got toxic physicians, they're uh, much more capable of removing them and seeing through them yeah. and not, not overemphasizing the fact that somebody's a high revenue generator yep. and keeping them in place. Yep. They harm everybody toxic. I don't want to be around a toxic doc. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody does. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, but I, I do think that that, you know, for people in um, administrative positions to sort of have kind of the secret handshake that yeah. doc, you know, the, the yep. docs it, is a, really it really is a secret rare. handshake. Yeah. What the? It really is a secret handshake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's more reason um, really for, for there's so many reasons. Uh, I, I think that the only way we really are going to get out of the mess that we're in in healthcare is to uh, encourage people to pay attention to leadership development with physicians and not to send them to the local, you know, MHA, MBA program. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really to understand, you know, what, what you're trying to achieve in an organization and then see to it that physicians have a chance to, uh, you know, learn the ins and outs of, of the business from other people who are actually doing that work. Yeah. Not, not an off the shelf program, not a local, you know, mm-hmm. MBA program, but, but really, uh, people within the organization who are able to um, share the reality of the business and right. the tools of the business um, in right. a leadership development program. Yeah. Like the real, like, you know, like the real ins and outs, not just the textbook stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, how, so what's the call to action? How do we, how do we take back healthcare? What do we do to, 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 to make this happen? How does this, how does this change? I, I, I think, COVID is a good catalyst for all of this because uh-huh. I think people are mad enough right now where we might even we might be able to make some change and people might realize mm-hmm. okay let's let's really let's really see why everybody's really upset right now um, and so how do we what are some next steps what can we do I think an, another element that COVID has highlighted too uh, has been um, a public awareness mm-hmm. you know I, the, the public it, it's another element of that seems um, inexplicable in healthcare, but uh, the public holds physicians in high esteem, and it's important for uh, patients and members of the community to have a, a good relationship with their physician. That's important to them, and I think now the public is seeing how uh, you know this dysfunction within healthcare systems. So I think on the part of the public and people who are on boards. Um, and who are making decisions about who's going to be the next CEO, uh, to the extent that we can influence any of that and speak to, you know, me, you know, members, board members who would be making a CEO decision uh, and, and being high profile, writing and talking about what's going on in healthcare organizations that is dysfunctional and unhealthy and not, you know, I think uh, financially catastrophic, but also causes uh, problems with well, causes a lot of problems with even with 
burnout and physician turnover and mm -hmm. um, harm to patients. Um, but so one thing is, is the public recognition, I think, is important. Um, I think awareness among physicians themselves. When I talk to physicians and say, you know, the other traditional professions, law, engineering, um, uh, the clergy, they, they run their professions. You know, these are the traditional professions that go back millennia. And, um, and medicine is unique in an unhappy way in that in medicine, uh, we only run about 6% of our healthcare uh, systems and hospitals, 6%. And the rest are run by non-physicians, you know, maybe a, a master's in healthcare administration or an MBA or, or some other degree. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a reversal. Other, you know, it, it's a big deal. It's a a big kerfuffle in law if suddenly there's a non-lawyer lobbying to be the, the CEO of the firm. That's a big deal. They talk mm -hmm. about it and, and you know it doesn't happen very often. It's rare. Yeah. Uh, and I think for for physicians, when I talk about this with physicians, they're going, oh yeah, you're right. You know, yeah. that's it is weird that we're not running our own systems. It, you know, our the doors don't open without the, you know, the, the MD or the DO credential. You've got to have a physician credential to, to be seeing patients. And, um, of course it, it doesn't make sense that yeah. in our, in our profession, we're not running it. And we're, I think we're seeing a lot of the repercussions of that. Yeah. How bizarre the would that be? Yeah. yeah like how bizarre would that be for a law firm to not be run by <laughs> lawyer you know well, it like, is it is bizarre when yeah. it happens i mean there are yeah. a few but it's news um, yeah we don't think about that why aren't we thinking about that and in, in, in medicine well and worse you know what's sad and i think you know people who know l lawyers um probably should send your podcast and my podcast out to them because they're they point to medicine and say medicine they've seen the light and they often you know they the majority of the time have non-physician non-professional um, leaders and managers of their systems. So we should look to medicine because they're enlightened and they have these, you know, they, they have managers instead of um, physicians running uh, the organizations. Mm -hmm. So they're at risk. Um, there's a lot more MBAs being pumped out into the world than there are, you know, DOs and MDs. Mm -hmm. So um, from listening to your podcast, I think what you mentioned there's like something like 200,000 MBAs pumped out every year compared to like 35,000 MBA right. DO degrees every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huge difference. It, it is. It's a huge difference, a huge. In, and, and yeah, I, I think that it's something that, and it's not that there uh, isn't a place for, um, for non physician uh, leaders and managers, mm -hmm. uh, but I do think that the, um, the physicians, the people who are experts in the core business in healthcare, uh, have to, we have to switch the ratio. It can't be, you know, uh, 6% is physicians. We need to switch that and have it be the rare situation where there is an excellent non-physician, um, CEO. And that's great, you know, if, mm -hmm. if it's, uh, but it shouldn't be the norm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I, I, I want everybody to to really listen to the three to the last three episodes that you have on your podcast because mm -hmm. um, they're just so informative and they are especially anybody interested in, in physician leadership like your podcasts are so well done and so clear I gotta after this I have to figure out how you get such great quality on your episodes <laughs> um, but 
Excellent, excellent episodes. Um, where can people listen to those to those episodes? Uh, so you can um, people can go to license to lead podcast.com and that's my podcast page and it's on, also on all the usual uh, podcast platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can reach me, reach out to me at fayconsulting.com and find me on Twitter. It's uh, at Patty Fay MD. But what I would really love and appreciate to the max uh, is if people would go to license to lead podcast.com and leave me a voicemail or send me an email with comments and questions. There's a cool uh, SpeakPipe voicemail app right on the um, license to lead podcast.com page. So people can even leave an anonymous um, voice message for me. And so I'd love to hear that. I'd love to get people's feedback and ideas. And I, I would love to use your voices, the listeners' voices, um, to fuel future podcasts. Awesome. Dr. Patty Faye, what a pleasure. Honestly, I loved, I loved this conversation. And I, I'm so, you know, like I get pumped up. I think people that listen to my podcast know when I'm really pumped up. And like, I'm super pumped up about like these kind of, like this kind of talk, because like, I really feel like at some, we're going to be able to make some change. I really think that there's going to be some change mm-hmm. after all of this. And it's, it's really exciting. And I, and I hope that we can rally enough people and enough talk to really make some uh, possible change in the future, in the very near future. Boy, I, I so agree with you. I think the awareness is huge and um, get, really getting these conversations um, uh, revved up, get people in the conversation in a big way so that, uh, so that physicians see themselves as leaders. They recognize that as an inherent part of being a physician. Yeah. Thank you so much, Patty. It's a pleasure. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been terrific. Everybody, thanks again for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed this one. If you could please do us the favor of leaving us a five-star review and a possible word or two on what you liked about this podcast that would really help us and help us continue to grow. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot, share it on your stories on social media, tag us at beyond underscore med or at my personal account at drrami.do. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks again. Peace.